This is the Video Nasties A through Z with Death by DVD. Mardi Gras Massacre and Nightmares in a Damaged Brain. This is Radio Land, huh? The Infinite Turtle, the, the waves through the ether fuzz roll on forever. Roar! listening to the Video Nasties A through Z with Death by DVD. I am Harry Scott Sullivan, and here with me, he just finished up a big dish of Cantonese lobster and is now patiently waiting for his fortune cookie. It's I, Alexander Nash. For the rest of this episode, I'm going to need to for you to refer to me as Catfish. Sounds, sounds right. Catfish, I, Alexander Nash. This is how we're starting this video, Nasty. What possible movie could we be talking about? We should leave it up to mystery. But yes, this is another fun, sweet, fast installment. Uh, fun, sweet, fast. Uh, none of those described with this episode will be like, I'm just saying words. It is the Video Nasties A through Z with Death by DVD, where we work two by two alphabetically through the famed Video Nasty list. And we have two particularly, well, one's all right. One's kind of dull. What is one of my favorite Video Nasties on the list? The first one we talk about is definitely not, because fuck this movie. <laughs> I feel fuck it hard. like we're in an okay position to say that it's all right to judge anyone that says this is one of their favorite movies. If, if you know someone that goes, <laughs> I love this film, we'll, we'll give it away. Why? Why? What about it? What about Mardi Gras Massacre screams to you a good time? And both of us watched it for this episode, and neither of us had a good time, and our opinions aren't. Everything I laughed matters, twice. But... I did laugh twice. Well, the end of the movie is one of the greatest things on the planet. I love the end of the film, not just because it ends. Now, for me, was the um, when he was drugging the hookers, and then there was like a jump cut in the same position. This camera's in the same position, and jump cut. They're knocked out on the floor. No passage of time. No nothing. Just like real sloppy editing. This whole movie is full of sloppy editing i dare say incompetent i think incompetency would be a good word Fair for it me. yeah mardi gras massacre 1978 written and directed by jack wise i believe there's another writer i was watching an interview with the director where he talked about he was trying to put the blame i guess on somebody else what was written there's no story this is a a, a cocktail napkin kind of movie and you've said it the best i tend to rip you off with this statement but this movie 100 percent is blood feast from the perspective of the cops which apparently is the least interesting part of blood feast <laughs> well, it's not even so much that because like the blood feast angle is it's a guy murdering hookers in a like a sacrificial religious sacrificial way it has nothing to do with egypt though because it's more of like a Peruvian Aztec kind of deal where he's cutting the hearts out of hookers and it's the hugest problem for the movie is it's so formulaic of scene in bar scene at apartment murder scene cop scene scene at bar and it just keeps repeating itself and all the cop stuff they don't even figure out the case they here's how they solve the case they go speak to a 
Chinese food delivery guy and he says, oh, yeah, that dude's killing people who's killing people lives at this address. Go get him. And then they do. They do no police work whatsoever. It's mostly this one guy named Frank, a cop who is falling in love with a hooker. And but he has also stolen another hooker's money. So he's not good. But he's mad at her for being a hooker. And they get into a big fight, but then they reunite at the end. That that's the plot. And then we don't even find out why the dude's killing people. Sure, it's a you know religious sacrifice and all that kind of jazz. Well, he's but... trying to bring the god quasi codal, quasi coat hook, quasi codal, well, whatever it's back not to Q life. Q the winged serpent, but it's it's a Q god. <laughs> it's a Q Aztec god, but there's no like statement of purpose from the killer. He just shows up and says, "Do you have anyone who is evil?" And he just wants to kill evil hookers. And then he takes them back to the apartment. They share some wine and then he sacrifices them. And it takes like, I'm sure some, some shots in this movie are unbroken reels, full 10 minute reels of one shot. Every shot is a master shot. Not, it never really goes for any close-ups. It goes in for like, you know, like a two shot every once in a while and is so impossibly flat. It is edited like a sloppy ass mess. And, there's nothing interesting about it except for the uh, disco funk soundtrack, which is that's amazing. I will like the, the music is amazing. New Orleans, Mardi Gras, masks and murder. God. The Mardi Gras massacre. Homicide. Beautiful women are dying, and so are the New Orleans cops. They battle a bloodthirsty madman, a masked monster, Mardi Gras Massacre. There is a sweet soundtrack, but we do, and through snippets of the movie, at least get some reasoning as to why he's doing this, that we've learned he's done it in um, Carnival, that there are these three same three murders. It has to be three every time, and he kills three evil women to try and bring this quasicodal god, this ancient Aztec god, back. But a lot, aside from that, there isn't any... Uh, beyond elaborate. The killer doesn't have any statement of purpose. He barely has oh, any yeah. dialogue. He's just like, here, come to my apartment. Uh, I'm going to kill you, disco track. And that's that's like, he never really has any scenes to really like, you know, villain it up. He does have one scene where he orders Cantonese lobster and is very, very, very stern about wanting one fortune cookie. So we do learn that he has somewhat good taste in food. Cantonese lobster, I've never had it, but it does sound amazing. Um, I mean, I'm not by any means trying to disagree with you because I think this movie is b beyond dull, but they do give us Bland. all the reasons they give us, and but none of it matters. Like, you've, you've given us great direction. I, well, hold on, I don't mean great direction in the sense the movie's directed great, but you give us direction on what's happening. We get in, involved a detection Detective Sergeant Frank Abraham, played by, uh, I believe it was... Uh, a soap opera actor, Kurt Dawson. We see into these, like, it's, it's, what am I saying here? It's an exploitation piece, but it's not really exploiting anything, which makes it a, a very bizarre piece on its own, because usually when you're dealing with an exploitation movie, the topic is what's being exploited, and this film kind of panders, like, sure, it's explicit of certain things, but it doesn't really fire a cannon at you. It exploits nudity and three scenes of violence that are basically the exact same scene of violence of him cutting a hand, cutting a foot, slicing her stomach open, and pulling out her heart. 
it's almost the exact same special effect each time. I Which mean, they cool. did bother go to the trouble of making several different torsos that, you know, somewhat match. But at the same time, it's just like you get kind of tired of watching the same murder happen the exact same way with the exact same shots. And there's nothing to guide us through. There's no connective tissue in the film whatsoever. There's no like there's no establishing shots of like, hey, we're at the police precinct. There's one shot that like is another one that made me laugh where the the cops have got to go talk to somebody. So they're they're getting up from their desk so and say, let's go. And then cut, hard cut to them sitting back at their desk and the um the the police commissioner or whatever, the chief of police is like yelling at them and stuff. We don't get any connective tissue of like they left and they've come back. It's just no, they stood up and are now sitting back down. And so it feels like a scene is missing, but I just think it's sloppy direction because they he, like the director didn't understand like you need B roll. It cannot just be master shots and it can't be ten minute sequences of this cop getting to know a hooker, uh, just like in, in one restaurant for ten solid minutes, one shot. The director Jack Weiss is a really weird person. He was a script doctor, but he doesn't get credited for a lot of the movies that he claims to have worked on. I'm not trying to dispute what he has said, but worked on movies like Dr. No. He worked on movies like For a Few Dollars More with Sergio Leone. I believe he shot second unit camera or possibly even B-roll with him. So the guy knew what he was doing. Like He knew how to shoot a film. He knew how to write a film, and that was... In an interview I, I was watching about the guy, he states that I didn't really realize how much money I could make from writing, and that's where I, I made most of my money is I would script doctor or I would get brought in to fix something, and they would say, well, do you want a credit or do you want you know, a fucking million dollars? And he would take the money over and over and over again. And that story sounds really, really interesting until you look up the body of work that this man has directed which is even more bizarre. His last thing was Melissa Etheridge, The Awakening, the TV special, and then Mardi Gras Massacre, Crypt of Dark Secrets, Death Brings Roses, Storyville, and Quadroon. None of them show anything that would would back up his statement of being true. And again, I'm not trying to call the guy a liar because there are stranger and, and weirder stories. I've never seen stories, a movie but... so flat before in my life. The photography is so flat. And it doesn't even feel like a, a student film, like somebody dropping out of NYU to make a movie. This feels like a bunch of high school friends came up with a script and plot and managed to get real actors. And I use real actors with quotation marks that it's like it's a dinner theater cast. And I don't mean it as insultingly as it sounds, because everyone does kind of carry whatever bad performance they're doing. They're giving it the best bad performance they could. But just like Nash has been saying, there needs to be something in between these scenes. Our lead character, this cop, he's a real asshole. He's a piece of shit. And, like, I don't mean, in, like, they try to make it seem like the female character, oh, she's a, she's a sex worker, so she's terrible. But she's just an average, normal, nice person that's now in an abusive relationship with this terrible cop who might accidentally be killed by this guy who's trying to revive this. There's too much fucking weird shit going on that's not connected. None of it gets even a breath of air of, like, well, this guy actually came up here from South America, blah, 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 nothing. We don't need an elaborate backstory, but we needed at least two or three minutes that would allow us to get to know anybody aside from this piece of shit drunk cop who steals from the dead. It's one of those movies where you you can honestly tell either they have no clue what they're doing or they don't have the time, money, probably shot on short ends, 
And they're just like, we've got to get a product out. I'm amazed it's like an hour and 36 minutes long because nothing happens in that hour and 36 minutes. It's just, it's, it just goes from scene to scene to scene. And none of the scenes are particularly that interesting. Some are basically repeats of the, like all the murders, all the preemptive stuff where the guy goes to the bar to meet women, like the hookers to murder them later. It's all basically the same thing. And it just happens over and over again. And every time we cut to the cops, well, we still don't really have any leads. Okay, back to this other plot with the uh, the murder. And so it's just, it's just boring. <laughs> it's so boring. And then when there's finally events and there's murders, like it's cool. I, I you brought it up a little bit while ago. They did some cool chess pieces. They did casts of the girls, and uh, they used like goat and lamb hearts. There's some gore. There's some really bad early fake tits there's uh, I, none of it really appeals though and it's it's bizarre out of all of the video nasties i think because even the last time we were talking about love camp 7 which is kind of incidentally a nudie cutie and a fetish film at the same time but there are some really atrocious movies on the video nasty list there's a lot of foul and offensive things this movie is just baffling because it's it seems overwhelming how incompetent it is that it couldn't influence anything more than a couple of fucking laughs. And on on the subject of, of, of possibly the director and the people involved in this not knowing anything, I feel, and I do, this is just your, your neighborhood-friendly host of Death by DVD, Harry Scott Sullivan's opinion, this is a mafia movie. This is a movie where the guy that... Jack Weiss had a production company. He owned his own cameras. He owned his own lights. They had... Uh, studios, he worked at Pinewood, he had a studio, they didn't have studios, but they were a legitimate production company, they got a call, they re were going to receive funding on a project, somebody wanted to do a slasher tits film, that was the idea, so Jack writes this movie with that guys, and they found out a couple months later when the movie had been filmed and was shooting in New York, none of the profits that the movie was getting from the New York theaters, Grindhouse, 42nd Street, shit like that, was going to come back to them, and they were informed by some Italian gentlemen that that's not how the operation that they had entered worked. So I think this guy definitely, uh, just by his stories, and it's it's kind of hard to say shit like, well, I shot second unit for Sergio Leone, I did this, I did that, in the era where IMDb and the internet is, is so easily accessible. I kind of feel he just did, you know, the H.G. Lewis, Roger Corman... Uh, the trauma deal, Lloyd Kaufman, just making some money. He was just making a boat payment, put out this piece of shit movie, knew it was a piece of shit movie, and it's incidental that it became a video nasty. It's probably the only reason that this movie has any notoriety or has been seen. Oh, it would have died a long time ago. This is not even a good drive-in movie. It's not even something to go, like, like get a hand job at the fucking milkshake stand. I don't know. Well, what the film it's compared to is Blood Feast. And what Blood Feast has that this film doesn't have, and by no means am I like the most hugest Blood Feast fan because, I mean, it's some 60s camp trash. It is what it is. But at least that movie has variety in its kills. It has some ingenuity. It has some creativity going on. It's goofy as fuck at times, but at times it's trying to be funny. At times it's trying to be you know, salacious is trying to be sleazy. And this film just, it, it feels like the world's worst seventies porn with all the porn removed. And it's yeah. still over an hour and a half long. It's just like just scene after scene of uninteresting 
things happening over and over again. And we get to the ending. Car chasing. <laughs> laughing about it now. And so this is car chase. It goes on. It's a very short car chase. They make it to the docks. And the guy gets out of his his Griswold family um, station wagon. Like, and just pulls, like, a, a fast one on him by, like, walking over a bulldozer or, you know, some piece of heavy equipment, somehow evading all the cops, jumps into a cop car, does one quick U-turn, and just jumps it off a pier. Why'd you even change cars? You were headed in the direction to where you could have ramped off in the station wagon, but you decided to park that to get the cop car. But you make it seem like he jumps it like it's it's an evil Knievel. No, or... it falls. Yeah, it, it's definitely not like the Cuda and Phantasm 2 or 3, that it's like a, a fucking bicycle ramp that this car just goes up and then directly off the edge of the pier. But the twist, the evil twist at the end of the movie is after they've swept the river and had divers look for the car. He's gone. As if there's some lingering aspect to the audience at this point that anyone's going to be excited to see Mardi Gras Massacre 2. There was hardly a massacre, and fucking there's no Mardi Gras. There's like a parade scene in this movie with maybe 25 people. Oh, they got a little bit of Mardi Gras footage. A little bit, because, I mean, it's cheap production value, but, like, you didn't, you hardly didn't get enough. You set up maybe three or four shots at Mardi Gras and then went to the Chinese restaurant. Not enough Mardi Gras to call this movie Mardi Gras Massacre. And you, that was something we skimmed over at the beginning of the movie when the cops finally end up catching him and they go to this Chinese restaurant to find out. Because it's the one thing the guy does the whole movie. He orders fucking Chinese food. And you find out that he tips very well. And I found that almost insulting that this this movie is so poorly written at the end of it. The guy gives the 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 delivery man gives the location of this person to the cops and he tipped him well that's not true any actual delivery driver would cover up a fucking murder for a good tip you've never <laughs> met someone in the food industry motherfucker that's a lie like this dude would not give up shit to the cop <laughs> that was what was so amazing about like the movie to me though of just like i've sat through like an hour and 20 minutes of this dreadful ass nonsense and then it's just like are we going to do anything like, there's no leads. We've talked to, like, one historian who says, yeah, he's killing it for this reason. Okay, we got to find him. And the historian even says, you won't ever be able to find him because he looks like everybody else, just like any Christian. And um, <laughs> What the fuck does that mean? <laughs> I don't know. And then oh, all man. of a sudden, they just, like, randomly walk into a Chinese restaurant and go, hey, we're looking for a guy who has this gold ring on, of which... No one's been able to describe the gold ring to the cops other than it's a gold ring. No, But they have a sketch of it all of a sudden, and they show it to the delivery man. He goes, yeah, that guy gave me 10 bucks. He lives at 1620 Madison Street. I remember the address. Got that. And then they just they say, we got to get some backup to go after him, and then go have a drink waiting for backup, even though, what was it, Sherry, the, the cop's hooker girlfriend, was about to be murdered by it, just like, oh. They do a double a drink. drink. That, that's most of what this character spends his time doing. He falls in love with this sex worker, and one of her friends gets killed by this guy, and he ends up stealing this dead girl's money. So they break up. And he even, there's a scene where he's sitting in a bar with some of his co-workers, other cops. I think one of them is his captain. And the captain says, like, I just want you to cool down. You're kind of a sick fuck. You don't have any emotion. You're, I mean, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here. But they keep telling him, like, you, you don't care about anything at all. Like, the character is largely a fucking psychopath. He has no emotion whatsoever. He just kind of misses the sex worker that he was banging. And then they go for a drink. And that's when 
somebody from the beginning of the movie finds them and is like, hey, 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 I saw the guy with your girlfriend going into this place. And then they go find the delivery driver and then they go for another fucking drink. Like this guy's alcohol habits, ridiculous, out the fucking door. <laughs> None of it is competent. And I, I feel, unfortunately, and by accident, we are making this movie sound funny and fun. Like, oh, I got to check this out. It like, isn't. It's, it's not. a dredge. Yeah, this is not one of those, like, the Death by DVD guys have been making light of this. It sounds so funny, it's good. It's just fucking boring. I, I honestly, I, I don't, and I don't mean this at all to shit talk companies, but I kind of wish I hadn't fucking spent money on buying this movie that I forever own. And that's been a gimmick since we started this, the Video Nasties A through Z. I've been doing a Video Nasty collection, whatever available disc for the film I, I will purchase and add to my collection. I'm never going to show someone this movie. There's not going to be a point where I'm sitting You're down. You're never and... going to watch this film yeah. again. And I already finished the special features, and that's why I'm a little disappointed, because it kind of sucked, Severin. What the fuck? Why was this <laughs> Why was this like a $40 disc? This is, this is... Yeah. Well, it's culturally significant, and I can understand that, because it's a part of especially UK history. But fuck, man. Like, I cannot believe they like I know why and we'll get into it when we go into the section where we talk about why you think it was banned but it's like this is pretty fucking tame. I mean, yeah, it's got some gross like real hearts, cow hearts or whatever sheep hearts in the film, but I mean, it's so, like and as we were talking about like, oh, you know, they're making a lot of it. It's kind of funny. It's like, yeah, dude, it's like four or five scenes that are funny. And so much of it is just sitting around and like drinking at bars and people disco dancing. So much of it is just filler. There's the, the one of the, the sex workers gets into a fist fight and it goes on for like 10 minutes. But even Severin for the, uh, the Blu-ray decided to put the title in Italian, despite this being the farthest from an Italian fucking horror movie to at least lied to you it makes it look so cool this cover italian this is title yalla, see? Yeah, this is this is great for your co collection have you ever heard of emissario del terror this is so good no it's fucking mardi gras massacre it's a dirty rotten lie this movie is lies <laughs> what's your speciality i like to dance and then five full minutes of her performing the worst topless ballet i've ever seen in my life And it's his only reason for killing the women is somehow they're evil and he justifies it because they're sex workers. So there's a whole slew of shit that we don't need to get into with how that's wrong. And I mean, I guess really you could say, honestly, the most offensive thing about this movie is the depiction of women, violence against women and the depiction of sex workers that like because it really makes the movie seem that all sex workers are hungry for it, that they love it. They just want to fuck. And there. Oh, there is some racism, too. There's some <laughs> there's everything. There's a little bit of negativity for everybody in this movie. If you really want to look at it, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's 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 sunshine on a cloudy day. Day is what it is, it is kind of rare though that we both like so staunchly it's not like i hate this movie i would never tell you to not watch it but both of us at the same time you know and and again nothing against jack jack weiss you went out he you fucking made this movie and it's a video nasty and i paid 40 dollars for it pal you got my fucking money but this is largely a, a i'm just gonna call it a piece of shit that sounds rude but it's kind of a piece of shit movie well like people like roger watkins made some kind of skillful porn films in the seventies and early eighties. So, like made some interesting pornographic films, 
um, that if you even cut the hardcore stuff out of you, you've got. Yeah, like, I own a couple of those, and there's some pretty like legitimately without the sex. I mean, like, even the fuck scenes are good. Yeah, Mardi Gras Massacre is like the worst example of one of those, and it doesn't even have the porn of just like a really like cheap low level pornography film with all the sex cut out, and it's just it's dry. The acting is all bad. The dialogue is meaningless. It's not none of it's clever at all there's a couple laughs to be had with like say the montage where him and the hooker are falling in love and they're just like hanging out on the mississippi river around new orleans and just <laughs> yeah they're that is kind of she's wearing some odd sailor suit i still don't know where that piece of costuming came in like i mean it's got a little bit of that like 70s um camp oh a perfect example of it would be um it's as bad as Dirt Diggler's. What is it? The harder they come. Was oh, that what was? That's a great reference. The little fake movie within Boogie Nights of like going to the bar to talk to a uh, Chess Rockwell. It's it's that. It's that specifically. It's that kind of film. It's kind of funny that that honestly, if there had been like inserted hardcore fuck scenes in this movie, it might have made it a little more interesting. Like I I rarely feel I'd ever have said in the fourteen years of this show that yeah, no, the movie needed some cock or fucking anal or anything. Like uh, Jamie Gillis pounding some girl's fucking asshole in. Sure. Anything. John Holmes, big old twelve incher. I don't care. It would have been better than what was on Even screen. Camp would help. Just a little bit of camp, like no, like it seems like it, well, that's what we're if they weren't piece. taking it seriously, like I, I guess I don't find your sense of humor very like enlightening or enthralling because there's just there's no level of like winking at the audience, like we know we're kind of making a fit. There's nothing. It's just like nah, this is just straight up trash, and don't bother. I got paid. Never thought this would live on past a, a year. And we would disappear forever, but it didn't. And you can buy it in 4K Blu-ray now. Well, back to H.G. Lewis a little bit, but that's what really makes Blood Feast and makes it fun is there is a lot of tongue-in-cheek. There's a lot of winking at the audience. We all know that it's going to be another long, hard one quote. But I, I think I spoke about this section on the last Video Nasty episode. H.G. Lewis and his style of gore is 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 miles apart from even something like this or... George Romero's Night of the Living Dead, despite it being sort of similar aspects, that Lewis really was feverent in only portraying violence in, and I, I not otherworldly, but exaggerated assets that would not be real life. So ridiculous you can't even believe it. That's, I mean, even something like Peter Jackson, yeah, he made a lot of horror comedies, but the level of gore he used in something like Dead Alive, it is so over-the-top yeah. violent that you can't even take it seriously. Like, splat stick is a genre that works for that reason. It becomes like a farce at a certain point. And I think H.G. Lewis had a lot of that um, in his early work of just, I'm trying to make a bit of a farce, and there's no farce in this film. It's just yeah, shit. It, it lacks, and, and, and this sounds shallow, but it, it definitely lacks any form of personality. There is just... A de and no depth with the characters, no depth with the scenery, no one chews anything up, there's no fun, and you can almost see and tell, nobody appeared to have even fun making this film that, I, I don't know, I would feel this is like a 10 to 15 day shoot, just bang it out, get it done, and then they sold it to the mafia and thought maybe they'd get some money back, and they did, a little bit, not as much as they thought, but hey, you know, they sold a product, whatever. They work for a little bit, I mean, it's all work. So, I mean, that's, I guess, the best way to describe the film. 
it was work for everyone involved. And and this was a hard one to cover, especially because it's just uh, you you don't want to be overtly negative. I don't want to just come out the gate shitting all over the movie. But there is there's not there's not a lot of fun. There's nothing to cling to. There's nothing to walk away from. Good and go, soundtrack though. That's Real it, yeah. good soundtrack. There's the thing. That's so I'm wrong. There's one thing. We do have the soundtrack. It was originally recorded for the movie. I don't think it's a lot of needle. Oh, there's some needle drop shit. But it's slapping. It really reminds me of Giovanni Lombardo Radice's dance scene in House on the Edge of the Park. Just great Euro disco sound and shit. Love it. Yeah, and like, even it, it gets into this kind of evil disco flavor when he's committing the uh, the sacrifices, where it just kind of bow, and then it just kind of starts really kind of cooking with the uh, the hi hat, and I don't know, it's just the they disco spent their money on the like soundtrack. the funk, the disco funk shit really kind of did it for me in the film, and it kept me entertained on that level. But if it didn't have that, I just wouldn't have anything to like ever go back for or ever watch again. Yeah, I honestly, um, Severn used to do this too. They used to put out soundtrack editions of movies. I would buy this this on vinyl. I would love this movie's soundtrack. I would own a poster of this movie just to talk about the soundtrack. Would never want to show this to a friend. Nope. Just nope. no point. There's no fun in it. And then, like, it's shallow, but Jesus, like, at least with some of these filthy Nazi exploitation movies, there's some levels of eroticism and story and plot and we like like love camp 7 at least there are fucking characters this was just a bunch of vague ideas of characters all right so you you're ready to read from the book the manual onto the bible the holy texts the the art of the nasty by Nigel Wingrove and Mark Morris the status of Mardi Gras Massacre in the UK as of like 2009-ish, 2010, I believe, when the book came out. Mardi Gras Massacre. This blatant blood feast ripoff makes the gore films of Herschel Gordon Lewis look polished. Not released theatrically in the UK, Darren's uncut version featuring graphic heart removals and bizarre rituals was reissued by another enterprising British video company, Market video. It remains unavailable in the UK to this date. So it's uh, now that Severance put it out, that might have changed. I don't know what its status is in the UK under the Severance label on Blu-ray, but it has. I I can actually update on this right now. The film on the UK government's list of video nasties in the 1980s, like Nash just said, in 2022, the film was finally submitted to the British Board of Film Classifications, and it received an uncut 18 certificate for UK release. Jesus Christ! So, dude, like last year, somebody's Literally, still like yeah. throwing a little bit of cash and saying, "Hey." Hey, can we re-rake this movie and get it unbanned? <laughs> Why bother? There's bootlegs of it everywhere, and it's trash. It is kind of funny, um, just just with a lot of the the movies that have been re-ranked and, and are allowed to be released, like Cannibal Holocaust. But they've cut so much out of it. You're watching like a 48 minute cut of Cannibal Holocaust. What's the point? I agree. All right. So, also doing research on. The film. I always try to look up to see if it was currently available somewhere or what the last asking price was for it that I can find on the original VHS PALs that were pre-certificate. 
Um, this one is under a label called Gold Star, the original, and then Market put it out after put it out after that as well. I think the Gold Star is supposed to be the more valuable version of the film. I could not find it for a price um, that it sold for already or somebody was currently trying to sell. I couldn't find shit. I couldn't find a record of a sale of it. But that just has to do with my shitty research. And as all of you out there in Radio Land know, I already brought it up. I got the Severin edition. And I, I'm making a little bit of fun of Severin, but it's a nice copy. It looks it looks great. The last time I remember watching this movie, here's a fun story. It was for a Death by DVD episode, uh, one of our live-run episodes when we first started covering the video nasties before this genius idea of I, Alexander Nash, of doing every single one of them in alphabetical order. You know, I didn't remember the movie being as much of a fucking piece of shit <laughs> as, as it was. And when I sat I down... I mostly ignored it. Yeah, my, my big saving grace, I guess, with this one, a soundtrack aside, was the, the Severn Blu-ray of, well, they, they do clean it up nice. It, you can see everything. You can see every single detail. That's nice. I mean, if you're a completionist and that's... It's a good print. Yeah, it's, it's if you want every video nasty movie, that's what I want. I want a little shelf in my fucking office that has every video nasty movie in it that I'll probably hardly watch, but... So why was the film banned? Uh, my oh, guess yeah. is one of the big things about the uh, prosecution list is violence towards women, and this had not only violence towards women, but graphic violence while they were full frontal nude. Yeah, and there's and a lot of And that becomes frontal. a problem mixing um, something that could be deemed sexual with violence um, when they were reviewing these films back in the day. So, And just those three brief scenes in the film... I mean, they do go on forever, but I mean, nudity is passe in the UK. So until you get to the actual violent scenes, I, you could have easily cut out a couple of seconds and it would have been fine. And it's it's just unremarkable. I mean, it's the first time you see the the heart removal sequence. It's kind of cool. It's all right. Yeah, that's kind of neat. But it, it's number three. Yeah, it doesn't I've matter. seen it before. And I mean, it's neat that they made chest pieces for all the different actresses they they tried to have attention to detail but the, the attention's in all the wrong places with this movie the attention to some fucking story some goddamn story would have actually helped it out but it's a weird thing ending kind of talking about this and I don't hate it it's like I'm not like angry oh, you know, oh this movie sucks so much. I don't care I don't care either way but it's 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 a weird, really weird piece, especially coming toward the end of the video nasties list, finding something like this that despite hearts being removed from women's chests and all this, there's a lot of full frontal. You get some some actual crotch shots, some tit shots. It's a pretty harmless movie at the same time, though. It doesn't stand for anything. It's not <laughs> it's not really exploiting as much as a exploitation should. It's a really weird movie that doesn't deserve to be on this list, but somehow is, and now we all know what it is because it's a video nasty, so it's that's a legacy story it's 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 more interesting i feel us talking about this movie is exceedingly more interesting than the actual fucking movie is at all yeah i think we've given this movie more value than it actually deserves and by censoring it um the uh the bbfc like really brought way more attention to this sh yeah. like turd ball of a movie and made people spend outrageous money to collect this fucking trash yeah, that's about it. All right. I <laughs> think we're done with that one.
Alright, so Mardi Gras Massacre. There is no massacre. And there's very little Mardi Gras. Now, we're moving on to a film that has an amazing title. It's usually called Nightmare 1981, but Nightmares and a Damaged Brain is so much better. 1981, written and directed by Romano Scavellini. I think this one is probably more apt for Alexander Nash to talk about, because he actually really likes it. I do enjoy this film. I think it's one of the better films on the video nasty list. And Agreed. it is like, it's not a hard hitter. It's not, you know, full cheese zombie. It's not um, like, you know, like a Anthropophagus, not a good film whatsoever, but I mean, it's a big hitter on the video nasties list. People know it. It has a pedigree. And this film I think deserves a little bit more recognition than it gets because it's, Nothing more than a pretty routine slasher, but it's exceedingly more well-made than you would expect. And it's also, like, very, very sleazy. And it feels... There's a, a, a 42nd Street vibe to it, which, yeah, they did shoot some of them on 42nd Street, but the whole film is that, like, super dirty grindhouse vibe. The following preview trailer is not suitable for viewing by persons of a nervous disposition. Switch off your television set immediately, unless you are prepared to be really terrified. Nightmares in a damaged brain. Prepare yourself for the most intensely shocking motion picture of our time. The motion picture everyone is talking about. Hello? Hello, Steve? Nightmares in a damaged brain. Kathy? It's only a dream, and dreams can't hurt you. <laughs> Are you there, George? Daddy! George, don't hang up! Where do you go? There's no place to hide. Nightmares in a damaged brain. And it's along the uh, the maniac vein of slasher films where we really have the antagonist as our protagonist and we mostly follow him into a sordid nightmare of him 
killing people and it kind of all wrapping up the end with a stupid twist ending. Uh, so, I mean, it's, it's the story in itself is not that entertaining because it's a, literally just about a mental patient who is on new experimental drugs and they're kind of monitoring him out on the streets and he just keeps having seizures and foaming at the mouth and he wants to kill people because he keeps having flashbacks to his childhood of when he witnessed a murder and the big flip at the end is he didn't witness the murder. He committed the murder back then. And not only that, the people he was trying to kill was his family. That was his kid who just tried to kill his dad. Oh, shocker, shocker. And like, that's a pretty good like summary at the end of the film of just like, okay, it's not like ground breaking interesting shit but it's just like oh okay nice little treat oh that was really that was that was his family okay and at the end it turns out he was the murderer you don't have to knock my socks off mardi gras massacre definitely didn't but this film at least has a beginning a middle and an end and it wraps things up with a little bit of you know extra effort on trying to tell a little bit of a you know a story but the murders themselves are pretty amazing. Um, do you want me to get in right now to the stupid Tom Savini legal battle on the movie? I think that's what the audience is here for, the Tom Savini facts. Because this is the stupidest part about the film. It was heavily advertised. It's funny, though. I think the story is more funny than anything else. It's funny. It's just dumb as shit because I don't know why the fuck they thought they could get away with it. The producers of the film accredited in like all the trailers and stuff – the new film from Tom Savini, because Tom Savini had become a superstar after Dawn of the Dead and Friday the 13th of like, oh, he's going to show you something really crazy and graphic. Oh, our, our special effects were done by Tom Savini in this film. And it didn't even really allude to that. They almost alluded that Tom Savini directed the film. It's so hardcore sucked his dick in the advertising. Prepare yourself for the most intensely shocking motion picture of our time. Nightmare, the motion picture everyone is talking about. Hello? Hello, Steve? you in Dawn of the Dead and Friday the 13th. Special effects director Tom Savini. Now comes Nightmare. Kathy? But in reality, the special effects of the film, because it was shot in two locations, one was in New York and one was in Florida. Most of the film was shot in Florida and all the Florida special effects were done by Cleve Hall. Rest, Rest in, in peace. peace, buddy. And it was one of his first actual films he worked on and the New York stuff, which was the flashback sequence when he was a child murdering his father. And I'm assuming his mother, it could have been a prostitute that scene. And, um, God, I think there's one more brief scene they shot in New York, uh, of violence, but that was all. Oh yeah. It was, uh, that the head in the bed at the very beginning. Of the oh yeah. Film. That's the New York, um, shot FX sequence. And the, Ed French helped uh, craft that. Ed French, um, who worked on Sleepaway Camp, he worked on 
breeders. He's uh, he starred in breeders actually. Uh, he's he's um, done a bunch of stuff. Uh, Blood Rage. It's Ed French. Everybody knows Ed French. Oh yeah, Ed French. So Tom Savini, when they were shooting the New York stuff, was on set. He was helping set up a shot of like you should probably shoot it from this angle. So he picked up the axe to kind of show how you should swing. Um, you know, within the the frame of the camera is getting, and they took pictures of it on set and threw it in all the press materials, and just basically said, "Tom Savini did all of this. Can we get some of that um, extra clout, please?" And then Tom Savini sued their fucking ass because you can't say that. I showed up on set one day. Um, they originally wanted to hire Tom Savini, but he didn't have time to work on it. But he suggested um, Ed French to work on that one sequence. And it was just like, well, we couldn't get you to work on it. Let's just pretend you did. So it was a whole to do. Savini finally, I mean, the story finally came out years later. I don't even think people knew Cleve Hall did all the Florida stuff for like 20, like 20, 30 years, maybe. I think he just recently came out in like the early 2000s. Oh, no, I did yeah. all the special effects it's, in It's definitely not like a, a plastered all over his fucking career, which is kind of unfortunate, especially in his absence. Since Cleve Hall has passed away, it, it, he's more than just that TV show, and this is one of those really important things that maybe if the notoriety had been given to the right people, it might have had a little bit more success because I don't... I hate using the term lost, and I don't I don't want to call this a lost movie because it was available on Blu-ray recently, but it's not talked about a lot. It's not brought up in, in the average horror circles. It's not a very well-regarded movie, but I think it's really effectual, and it, it has this kind of cross between something like Carpenter's Halloween and um, Joe Spinell's Maniac, the uh, great movie. I love Maniac. It's a wonderful film. You, can, you have these weird focus points between the killer that kind of merges... You know, the, the, the cold, crazy Michael Myers and these POV shots, and then you have this just un, unfurling psychotic that is going crazier and crazier and becoming more rabid as time goes on. And it mixes and melts things really well. You get a great atmosphere. You have a, a sincerely creepy feeling to the movie. And there's a, an American cut. that I, That's the more familiar one I think people know, Nightmare, as it's called, instead of Nightmare in a Damaged Brain. And that cut is atrocious. It removes so much of the movie. It m- removes plot, pacing. It removes enough that you just seem to almost be watching, like, a clip show. Nothing feels organic, and it, it it's just a bummer. It really should have gotten the credit that it deserved back in the day. And I think you were onto something with just kind of the advertising campaign of like it's another Tom Savini film because it's it's more than that. It could have made it on its own with just being a film uh, about you know this insane man killing people and just kind of throw it into the regular uh, slasher cycle. And it's been forgotten because it was barely a, a, available on VHS. I mean, it didn't sell a shit ton of copies because it was like, what, 21st century was the uh, production studio. And they were a very small time outlet. I think they also did maybe Scalps, The Slayer, and a, like very few films that they actually like, you know, were the uh, releasing company on. And they kind of bungled it because it really never was out on video and it never really earned its place on um, like a lot of people's favorite horror films from the what, from the 1980s list. But it, it's so much more than that. Cause like the Cleve Hall special effects stuff is all great. The, the little, the miniature pickaxe to the, uh, the arm gag, the pickaxe in the back, all that stuff is just like, it's done tremendously. I mean, it's basic magic trick stuff, but it just, it's pulled off 
very well. And I think there's something iconic um, when he's like wearing his kind of tattered suit at the end and he puts on a Don Post mask, which is a very like kind of striking piece of imagery. And the you could have bought this Don Post mask back in the uh, the 70s and was also commonly referred to as the Sheik. It came with a um, a uh, like a sheet to wrap around like a turban. And it was a very like racially insensitive mask. And in the same Don Post catalog right next to it was a mask called Mr. Cool with a K, which was a black stereotype like mask that I was just like, Jesus Christ, even in like 1979, we're still dealing this like level of overt kind of like pop culture racism that it was just like, nah, yeah, look at this ugly sheet character we made. It's like, it's an Arab guy. I don't know why you have to make some like gross caricature of like of a race of people and sell it as a fright mask, quote unquote. So we were just living in a very, you know, racially insensitive time back then. But the mask in this context does work because it doesn't have those racial overtones to it. Because without the uh, the turban kind of thing, it, it it loses that that chic appeal. Um, but it just it, it it's an image that works at the end and kind of instills some terror and the mayhem of when he's chasing what is revealed to be his own son around trying to kill him and his son just going like shit house and just nailing him. Like how many times does he get shot? At the shoots end him the like it's five like... times with a 38 caliber. And then he goes and gets a 12 gauge and starts shooting him <laughs> with that. Like they, they pull out the fucking weapons at the end of the movie. It's just so satisfying. Like, like the ending of this character is just kind of so brutal and so shocking. And not only that, we, we then get into the fully realized um, nightmare he's had, this reoccurring repressed memory he has when he was a kid of when he murdered his father and his mother. And we get this like extra elongated piece of very, very extreme gore. Uh, it gets like this is the goriest moment in the film, and it brings it to this real crescendo. Um, so I just think it's a really aptly made film that, you know, it ain't going to win any awards by any means, but it's just, it's well-crafted in what it is, which is just a sleazy-ass slasher film. It's just one of the best sleazy slasher films. They use the term fulfilling, and I think that's a great way to describe this movie, especially coming, you know, if you're a slasher fan, and it's it's a lot of weird subgenres I'm going to bring up here. But if you're a slasher movie fan, a video nasties aficionado, or you just like Italian horror, this movie kind of hints all of those bases. That you have a lot of absurdity. You have I hate the the terminology. It's a it's like a fever dream. Who's fever? What type of fever dream? It's so non explicit, but explanatory rather. It's so non explanatory, but. It's got the fever dream mentality of Lucio Fulci. It's got the vibrant deaths of American slashers and, again, somebody like Lucio Fulci. Everything you really would want out of a slasher movie, and it's still got this mystical aspect because it's it's clever enough that nothing really becomes unveiled until this last montage at the end where the head is cut off, and it's great. There's an axe. There's a head cut off, and then an axe just crammed right into someone's head. You could see, honestly... Some Savini-isms there, why that they would try and rip off his name and use it, because there's a lot of head splattering. I mean, again, Maniac got a great head splattering, Dawn of the Dead, 
great head splattering. Tom Savini is the man if you, you want to blow – well, was the man if you want – damn, that sounded weird. Tom Savini's <laughs> – it's not like he's fucking dead. You know, I don't, he's, he's fine, but – He's just retired. Yeah, he's retired, but he was the man to go to when he wanted a head to explode. It all works for itself, and you, you have – the movie being clever that really keeps you away from everything that you're wondering. You, by the end of this movie, are like, what the fuck is wrong with this guy? Is he crazy? Could there be something else wrong? You, you're you wondering as a horror fan, well, in this movie, it's like this. And then you get that big, great unveiling at the ending. And it's like a fireworks, you know, it's, it's like a display of fireworks. It's so fun. You get this awful scene and the pacing is wonderful because the kid walks to the top of the stairs and it's an S&M act that's going on with his father where he's tied up on the bed and he's being smacked and spanked and the kid goes downstairs and we focus on every single step that he's taking and we build this Hitchcock-like intensity until he finally comes back and when he comes back it's no cop-out, it's no cheap scene a head gets cut off, a head gets Good smashed delivered. it's great I mean it's it's a crescendo of amazing violence and it's so much fun. I mean, it sounds twisted going, oh, I love watching it when this chick's head gets cut off. But man, best part of the movie, everything just slows down. It's a wonderful display of, of articulate violence and gore. It's it's really fun. Well, as you bring that up, it's what I've always equated like movie violence to. And not so much now because with computer engineering and all that shit, it's it has changed the game by oh, like you know leaps and bounds but at least back in the day what was so impressive about like crazy scenes of violence is a you knew it wasn't real and b it was the magic trick of can they pull off fooling me and this uh, you know I, the fake head you see it get cut off it's a, it's a little fake but that makes it even a little bit better because you just see the the artistry that goes into making these kinds of things this it's the shock and surprise of it. Now you can't really do that shock and surprise of violence because you can have damn near anything in a film and you can just CGI like and use some practicals mixed in there and make like a really convincing effect. But the sheer magic of it is not there anymore. The like, oh, uh, like you, you tried to fool me and you got real close this time. Like It's just now it's just kind of like, OK, it's all a cartoon. I think it comes down a lot of the times to the auteur behind what's going on that it's unfortunate the the two examples i have are actually the same guy but there are some people that still manage to have that hg lewis type of gore that almost slapstick gore but it's not like like uh sam raimi is very well known for it but sam raimi tends to be funny with it but look at something like hereditary nothing in that movie is funny but it is so jarring and takes you aback so much that little gets her fucking head knocked off by the goddamn pole. But it's almost a slapstick level of gore. Again, using Ari Aster, you move into Midsommar when it's so abrupt. You're watching this like like ceremony, and it's spring, and everyone's happy, and then these old fuckers just jump off a goddamn cliff and splat. I felt it was funny. Like, <laughs> what the fuck? They just uh, Not funny funny, but a shock level of, holy shit, what did that I just see? That has to do with the director really knowing how to... The create artist. a scene and knowing like knowing how to edit this material together to make it shocking because it's the idea of it's bad enough and hereditary of like because there's no like real particularly graphic scene of like her head coming off but we build to this you know 
it's 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 the after effects of when it's just like it's very silent and then you hear Tony Collette just bawling and crying tears and then it's just this quick two to three second cut of this like graphic display of like gore and ants and it's just so it, it's like there's your punchline it's knowing how to deliver that punchline and people can still do that it's just it's it was able to be done on a much lower budget and on a lower skill level back in the day because like sleepaway camp has some of those moments speaking of ed french of and even blood rage like when uh, in blood rage when ed french himself because he was the actor who played that character the the head splits in half in blood rage it's just like, oh, shit, like that's a really kind of cool effect that you have put together. So it was honestly a little just I, I kind of appreciate it a little bit more because, I mean, it wasn't just on a because Ari Aster is like a real filmmaker. <laughs> and a lot of these people in the 80s and stuff, like a lot of these bubble gummers could still kind of like chase that dream and be able to accomplish that. Uh, you know, on, on a smaller scale. And so it's just, it's, it's more fun for me in that way. It's a level of things being organic or not. And I don't mean it in the sense of the violence being depicted in an organic matter. It's how you depict it on screen and how you decide to edit and how you decide to show it. Like this film, you have a horrible beheading and it's gorgeous. I mean, you can see it's a mannequin head, but it looks great. The way the cut works is great. But directly following that, this kid is standing on top of his dad tied to the bed and he lands an axe in his forehead. You get the squish. You get the chop sound. It's some of the finer artist moments of movies like this. You want to have that nasty, wet sound. You want to hear the thud where someone's smacking a pumpkin with a microphone. You need all that. You get this meaty goodness to this very... I, and I, I, I said it a couple minutes ago, I hate terms like fever dreams, but even the edit, the 1981 movie, I'll go ahead and let, we'll tell the audience, you can find this movie on YouTube, just type in Nightmare 1981, that version that's available, I, it really is like uh, taking acid and going to a party and then two days later only remembering weird bits and pieces of it, the edit of this movie completely turns it into a piece of schlock, it turns it into... Uh, just a, a degenerative piece of shit horror movie, but the actual film behind it without all of these cuts, man, it's such a weird, you you really end up being uh, almost in a fugue state by the end of the movie because you're struggling to follow the, the mental capacity of this character and you're kind of rooting for him because he's who's presented to you on screen. So you, you're like, I want to figure this out. I want to know what's going on with this character. You don't want, who you're watching to end up being a bad guy and you're misled so much throughout this movie with what he might have seen you really think he's the victim and he's looking for answers to questions and when you're presented with such a great display I mean it's it's like a full deck of cards just thrown down on the table you really get the ending of endings with this it's great fun for Even a the choice fan. to dress um, his little boy version in like all white black bow tie. He's dressed almost like a little uh, like ice cream man. So once the, the murders do occur and they're incredibly bloody and there's blood everywhere, there's this very iconic look of him holding that axe in his white clothes just covered in blood. This like, you know, 10, 12 year old kid. It's just it's a very graphic and I mean like an artistic way graphic, not graphic violence, graphic way of displaying these things. It's like a page from a comic book almost of just like this very great piece of photography. And I, 
I was thinking about it. This is probably the best example of an Italian director making an American slasher film and succeeding because they all tried to do it to a certain extent. And like Argento pretty much failed. Um, Fulci failed. Who else? Oh, uh, um, Diodato making body count. He failed at like murder rock is I mean, even last week. We had Madhouse, which was the the American Kentucky, Kentucky fried Georgia fried slasher film. And sure, it works and it has a lot of potential. I spoke on an episode that it does have a giallo ish or for our pretentious correctionists, because apparently I shouldn't say giallo. It's a gialli and you can suck my fucking ass. How about them apples? But it, it has all of this potential, but it still falls short. Like, I think Madhouse is a fine film, but it's just not, it's nowhere near this level that manages to hold almost all genres in its hand. Like, this easily can feel like a, a straight-out-of-Italy-Italian giallo film. This can feel like an American slasher film. It has so much potential from the, whatever idea you want to watch it under. But it's also odd because of what it focuses on and... Like the beginning of it is so much of him getting out of the institution and stuff, but then it gets to be this sleazy Forty um, Second Street movie, which it does have like a a single X scene. Uh, it does have some uh, lower female nudity, some um, some solo play, and uh, like you, that's fairly unusual for a slasher film. But you also have like the cutting back and forth between the family in Florida and him, and it just builds to that first murder. Um, cause it's so kind of sleazy cutting to the family, a little bit confusing. The kid's a little shit and it, it takes a little bit to get to that first murder, but it, it does pay off with all that sleaze and it kind of carries on throughout the film because, oh, mostly what's uh, depicted after that is a lot of, um, suburban houses and things like that. So it's, it's not very like, you know. New York sleaze anymore, but it's so sleazy at the beginning, it just kind of patinas the rest of the film and makes you feel like even grittier and slimier throughout the entire film. And that's really what works in the movie overall of just payoff after payoff after payoff, because that first murder pays off. And then we build to the next murder and that pays off. So it's just, it's rewarding you for time spent with it how a movie really should operate and that's kind of what's missing from let's shit on skinamarink for a little bit here again the reason i don't like that movie is it just doesn't ever really pay off there's like i'm sticking with this and sticking with this and i need 20 minutes in i need something that pays off i don't need like oh that was a little bit creepy no i need like I need a, a pickaxe murder. I need something. I need something to go, oh, shit, why do I need to, I need to keep watching this? And a lot of modern films like that just, no, it's a slow build. It's a slow build. Don't worry about it. It's a slow build. And now I'm 90 minutes into it, and the ending they slow built to is not rewarding. This film is rewarding throughout the film and then very rewarding at the end of the film. Something like Skinamarink, though, is a slow build toward nothing, and I'll still fight, goddammit, I'll fist fight anyone that wants to disagree. There is no substance. You can come up with whatever story you want to for a film like that, but that doesn't mean it was there, and that doesn't mean it's any form of articulation that was displayed or given on screen. And that is the key to a film, and... It's okay to passively engage with art. And, like, Nightmares in a Damaged Brain is something you can passively watch and you don't have to pay attention to every like piece of dialogue and you can still get enjoyment out of it. And something like Skinamarink 
is you're going to sit there, you're going to have to hardcore watch it, you're going to have to really like work to make the film work. You're going to have to turn the lights off. You're going to have to get your mindset right. It's just like, yeah, that that's its thing. I mean, it can be a thing. I'm not saying don't make pieces of art like that, but so much of art now is that. It's just like, no, if you really work hard, you can enjoy this film. It's like, but I just kind of want you to throw shit at me occasionally. I've had a hard day. I'm like, I, I, I've been at work all day. I don't want to have to work. I don't want to have to read two hours of subtitles. You see, I still, even with Skin and Rink, I don't feel there's something to work for, but I, I think it's just a cop-out. We're in an era now where it's, but yeah, they worked really hard. Shouldn't we care? No, I, I don't care. And you've brought this up before many times on episodes. It doesn't matter if you had a really hard day shooting. That's not in the movie, and your hard day doesn't matter. What matters is what you manage to make. If you're going to half-ass something, why bother half-assing it? I mean, it's 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 a, a, a this isn't a word, but it's a vaguety that just makes no sense to me of going out of your way to to make a mood. It's a whole mood. It's a vibe. That's the thing. You got to be in the vibe to get the mood. Look, motherfucker, it's a two-hour goddamn movie, and if it doesn't have fucking dialogue, a story, or a plot, or here's something that we all learned in elementary school, a beginning, middle, and an end, then go fuck yourself. It's experimental. That's fine. I have nothing wrong with it. One of my favorite fucking filmmakers in the world is Rainier Werner Fassbender. I love experimental shit, man. It's fucking great. Make something experimental. Don't just turn a fucking camera on for three hours and then put some filters over it. That's not experimental. That's fucking, might as well be pornography. Uh, what a film should always aspire to is to engage with its audience. You have to pull an audience in. It is not my job to engage with that art. It is the art's job to try to engage with me. And I think a lot of people are forgetting that. Nightmares in a Damaged Brain engages with me. When it loses my interest, it earns my trust back. And that's what I want. And a lot of other things just don't earn my trust back. It just, it, it won't pay for itself as it goes along. I'm 45 minutes in and everything I like everything you've built to for 45 minutes in has been a letdown. Why do I keep watching this? If I'm going to continually be let down, you need to give me something. And this it's sleaze pickaxe murder. Um, Oh, this is getting kind of weird. What, what's going on here? Like it's engaging. It's giving me something to figure out. And I guess that's what th one thing people don't give M night Shyamalan uh, not enough credit for is he does engage. It's just his, his payoff is usually kind of fucked. He doesn't ever stick the landing, but his engagement level throughout the film is always pretty good. It's just his payoffs are always pretty fucking bad. Uh, so do we want to read from the tome or do you have anything else to say about nightmares in a damaged brain? Nightmares in a damaged brain really is a, it's just a treat. It's a treat for slasher fans. It's a treat for genre fans, horror fans, exploitation fans. I really think the uncut original version of this movie is sincerely almost a love letter to genre fans. And it wasn't particularly made by people that cared about the genre or wanted to make a good horror movie. It was a product, and so many of our favorite films are, but it's a successful product. It got... It got what it the people that made this movie understood and and got the assignment and knew what they were trying to make, and uh, it's probably one of the highest regarded ones that we'll have to talk about. I think it's a great movie. I think it's a really fun slasher film. Like I don't remember all of the um, the details of this, but I'm pretty sure Nightmares in the Damaged Brain. The person the, like the company 
which was, I think, a guy, one guy who had his own, like, you know, a release company, video release company in the UK at the time. Like, he did go to jail for this film. He got arrested because I think he, like, refused to cut it or something. I can't remember the exact details of it, though, but that's a factoid you can all look up. He was like, because I know there was, like, a, a big kind of court case about that whole situation. It was three executives from the film's British distribution company, and apparently there was a mandate on footage that was being cut. The footage wasn't cut, so these three executives were found guilty, two of which were sentenced to 18 and 9 months in prison. There you go. See, I remembered something about it, because I just remember this was a very one, important one on the Video Nasties list, because there was some actual, like, court shit involved as opposed to the BBFC getting involved and just saying, no, we banned this or we cut all this out. There was like actual court proceedings about this one. And they went to prison for it. I don't know how much can be said for the other video nasties. I mean, I know we got Cannibal Holocaust on the list and, and Diodato was rest in peace also arrested for that film, but I don't think the severity was 18 to 9 months in prison. I doubt they like, they probably either didn't serve or served a very short period of that time. All right, time to read from the book. Time for the book. All right, from the book, Art of the Nasty. Nightmares in a Damaged Brain, past X with Cuts in April of 1982. A slightly longer version appeared on video just one month later, which resulted in its distributor, David Grant. Here you go. I should have just read the section. Being imprisoned for a year. Incidentally, the version he released was missing approximately 10 minutes of expository footage. Grant promoted this title using a brain in a jar and running a guess the weight of the brain competition. So he did end up serving a year in prison for um, for releasing nightmares in a damaged brain. He was like he was doing the the art of the sale um, at the time, too. He was like really leaning into the uh, the band nature of the films and shit, and he ended up having to spend time for it, but he probably made a chunk of money off of um, doing carny shit like that. And that's kind of what's so interesting about, like, Video Nasties, the uh, the craziness, the wild westness of uh, the video uh, market in the 80s was just how sleazy and weird and how much the mafia was involved, how much porn was involved, how much this whole, like, new category in um in film and media was just like just filled with the most fucked up and weird people who are just trying to make as much of a quick buck as they possibly could and that's why we ended up in movies like nightmares and damaged brain or nightmare or nightmares it goes there's so many titles but i prefer nightmares and a damaged brain it's just a cooler title far better title i guess you could say this guy is is one of the the few actual victims of the video nasties. Uh, the BBFC and people like Mary Whitehouse made it seem like these movies were affecting the the daily lives of people that lived within the UK and that these movies were destructive and they were destroying families and pulling people apart and that they were responsible for violence. But the, the most damage caused by the movies are the people that were releasing them or running video stores that lost their stores, lost their license to sell movies, had to go to prison for doing nothing more than carrying a fucking VHS cassette. Not things considered, like, 
terrorism or rape or child pornography, but literally movies like fucking Mardi Gras Massacre and Nightmares in a Damaged Brain sent people to prison. It's kind of fucking laughable. That's 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 money at work being spent to to do this instead of actually fighting crime. Or, you know, feeding homeless people. Yeah, something important. All right, so through my research, you know, using my research machine, my phone. Um, Not the, even uh, a computer, but yet your phone. The uh, PAL VHS uh, came out on World of Video 2000 is the name of the company. And I found many copies of it that ranged from 75 pounds down to like 34 pounds, which is kind of like crazy to me. Apparently this one is wildly available, wildly widely available um and can be purchased pretty easily off of ebay or other places off the internet it's not that hard to find nor is it that expensive my blu-ray version costs more than 36 dollars. so yeah the blu-ray even at this point is out of print i didn't even get a copy of the blu-ray for this episode because they're going from 90 to 120 dollars. so the out of print who did that was it arrow it was code red oh um, code red code red bill like it was, I bought mine, uh, I bought it for cost off the website. It was, I randomly, because the fucked up thing about the Code Red um, releasing website was they wouldn't sell all the time. He Bill was a cranky old fuck, and he didn't want to always like be selling Blu-rays and DVDs, so he would just open the websites randomly, not tell people, and then shut it down when he didn't want to take any more orders. So you couldn't order shit. You would just like randomly check it. And one day I randomly check it. This was available uh, as well as Messiah of Evil. And I bought both of them and I paid. Yeah, I was probably like with shipping and handling, probably about 40 bucks each overall. But shit, Worth now it. they're fucking out of print. You can't get them yeah. anywhere. And there's no good copies online, really. Messiah of Evil is about to get a nice new set. I think I, I might be. Uh, I don't even want to say. I can't who remember he's putting it out. I, I thought it might be 88 films, but it might not be at the same time. So maybe another episode will know that a new that's coming oh, was out. It, but... Yeah, it's a box set, so it could have been Severin. I don't. I I think it's a uh, a, a B disc movie. It's not going to be available in the United States. I think it's a British uh, company or uh, at least a European one. But yeah, that was Code Red Bill, uh, the Banana Man, as some people knew him, was uh, an absolute icon. It is a shame that he is it's gone. such a fucking grump. Yeah, he was one of the meanest people I've ever fucking encountered in, in, in any any fa- facility of my life. But goddamn, if I didn't shed a tear when he died, I was crushed. Like, you kidding me? Code Red Bill's dead? That's like... Well, he was just... It was like fucking with your grandfather. It's like... Something would get busted in shipping. wasn't his fault. It was just like, hey, uh, my my uh, DVD came and it was actually broken. Fuck you. I don't care. And he would send it to you anyway. He would like, but he just wanted to bitch about it. He was just grumpy. Is um his brother's label Scorpion still releasing stuff? Because I haven't been keeping I up with so. it. So I I I admittedly don't keep up with hardly anything anymore. I'm a subscriber for Vinegar Syndrome, so I get those in the mail and. I, I don't mean to continuously shit-talk Severn on this episode, but I will not buy a goddamn thing from Severn's website because it's going to show up broken or in nine months. Just buy it from Diabolique. Just do that. Just <laughs> That's usually the best, yeah. Uh, it's probably the best way of getting anything. Just, I mean, it, it's going through, like, you know, a middle guy, but at the same time, the middle guy is 
very resourceful and very diligent and does his shit correctly. They're not shit talking any companies specifically. No, Diabolik is uh, amazing. They're great. I've just had uh, personally, you know, me, one guy, I've had bad experience with direct severance shipping, so I no longer get from them. I will say, though, that all my issues have been solved using Diabolik instead of severance, so. Oh, we gotta do the why was it banned? Probably because all the fucking violence. <laughs> all the nudity and violence. I think some of them are very, very easy to guess, but the last scene of this movie that we so triumphantly have been discussing, that's why this one was banned. Totally. And it's an axe. Even the pickaxe stuff is pretty fucking hard. I think that's the biggest thing when it comes to when they generalized on what was going to be banned was looking at the weapons, and if it was any sort of household weapons or something that you know, imitatable some, violence. You know, somebody in the British countryside might have an axe. We have to ban this movie because Seamus is so fucking stupid he's going to use this axe. And I, I swear I mention this on every episode, but the, the thing that I find the most remarkable with, with Mary Whitehouse and the BBFC list and banning these movies is how undermining it is and how generally nasty and rude it is that the government thought so fucking little of the, the, the people of the U.K., that no, you can't. You can't have these movies. You are such a simpleton. You can't watch that. What the fuck, Jesus Christ! I don't know. I mean, it's 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 always a shock to me and a revelation when I bring it up in my head. But we've been doing this for like twenty eight episodes. Who cares? Yeah, yeah, it's just so much of the material that went through was hokey as fuck. Like I can, I'm not gonna get behind it, but I understand something like Cannibal Holocaust. I understand stuff like Hannibal Ferox, even to a certain extent, something like. Um, Fulci's zombie. Not that I agree with it whatsoever, but I like the level of violence is very extreme and it's gonna like piss off some parents. But like shit, like Mardi Gras Massacre. Um, what is offending you? Like, what's what is there to offend you in films like this? There's a lot of nudity and violence, but it's it's meaningless. Like, none of this stands for anything. There's no mission statement. There's no point to it. It's just fucking an hour and 20 minutes of, of lewd violence. That's it. It's just a little lewd. But I guess at the at the same time, we're still dealing with today where people, like, see videos on the internet and they just go, oh, my God, I can't believe what I just want. It, that, that's fucking CGI, dickhead. What the fuck are you talking about? Here's the best fucking example. We live in an era where there are people that are shooting Bud Light cans. They're so mad at the cans. They're mad at the fucking cans. People are triggered by fucking beer cans. So when you contextualize it in, into modern times, no, it fucking totally makes sense now. I mean, you, you have to look at how ludicrous and fucking stupid people are. And the big problem is most people don't think for themselves. It's when they see 50, 60 other people have been pissed off. Suddenly they're pissed off too and everybody's yelling and we're all raising our voices. It said on their profile, free thinker, what are you talking about? Everybody else is mad that looks like me and talks like me and sounds like me, so I guess I'm gonna be mad too. <laughs> and what does I'm that fucking thinker. do? Yeah, it, it's the same group of people and and a lot of guys like Peter Kruger was one of the I, I don't know if it was Peter but I know his last name is Kruger was one of the heavy police investigators that had to sit and watch all of these movies every movie we've talked about every movie that was up on the section 2 list all the other ones this cat watched every single one of them and there are interviews with them hey Intervision Severin here's a good plug for them they released a two part video 
Nasty's documentary set that you can get, and Kruger talks on a lot of them, and is... Uh, he's a normal fucking guy is the thing that has shocked me out of it. He had a job, and he was doing his job. And years later, he's able to speak upon these movies and go, I particularly didn't think there was anything obscene or out of line or lewd, but we were given a list of things that we had to ban and go over. So, yeah, I helped raid this guy's store. I put this person in prison. I was doing my job. And, like, sure, yeah, fuck, the same thing could be said about the Nazis and all that shit. But this guy's a... Uh, able to 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 speak and word and discuss the fact how ludicrous this was that he was able to see these movies and understand nobody would take this seriously something like Island of Death I distinctly remember hearing him talk about of just how much nonsense that movie is and how ridiculous the nature of it was that it couldn't possibly do more than offend people but at the same time it becomes part of this this list that we're talking about, like, it wasn't a big thing, but people did go to jail over this, and beyond things like jail, lives and reputations were ruined. People that had owned video stores that were just making money, existing, surviving in a society where it's fucking hard to live, their stores were destroyed, their tapes were seized, they lost their money, they lost months and months of income. People had their entire lives disrupted over the silly, petty list of movies that are so nonsensical. None of these movies, even Cannibal Holocaust, I have a high regard for that film. I have a lot of things to say about that movie, and I, I think the world of it, I think the world of Diodato, but that movie has done fucking nothing for any society. It's not changed anything. It's not been a pivotal thought. Most people are offended by it and don't even want to watch it. These movies are petty. You know, they're, they're nothing of serious caliber, but the BBFC and the Video Nasties list itself caused... It I was think, a social contagion. Where have we heard this before? I mean, they caused more damage by creating this list than these movies ever would have, I guess is the point of my rant. Yeah, and you brought up Island of Death, and the only thing that can has been going through my That's brain the last two minutes is, do you love me? Yes, I love you, and I always will. I'm surprised it's not Destination Never Ending. Oh, that's the other good one, man. Destination Not Commanding Man. Get the sword! Where's the Get sword? The sword! Cut the head off! Get the sword! Island of Death has, next to Last Cells on the left, maybe. Um, my, the, the... There's some great soundtracks of the video nasties yeah, list, man. I'm looking at it right now. I'm really thinking maybe... Maybe Mardi Gras Massacre takes the list. Best soundtrack for a video nasty. Then Last House on the Left. Then Island of Death. There's some great ones, but Mardi Gras Massacre. Oh, House on the Edge of the Park, too, oh, though, man. God, yeah. I mean, and there is nothing better than the disco in that movie. I think that was, was my ringtone, or your ringtone for me for years <laughs> on your phone, was the Giovanni Lombardo disco dance scene. Rest in peace, Johnny. We're talking about all our dead friends on this episode. Give it to me some more. If you can't tell, I'm a huge fan of like trashy Italian disco music. <laughs> Just I, I love all over onions, guys. Man, I said it I earlier, confess. but I, I willingly, if Mondo released right now for $60 Mardi Gras Massacre sound, yeah, I'd buy it. Hell yeah. I want it. I need it. I have the, the Assault on Precinct 13 soundtrack on vinyl, for Christ's sakes. <laughs> I buy some weird shit, dun, guys. Dun, 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 dun. Dun, 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 Might be actually my favorite Carpenter score. I think it's my favorite. It's okay. Um, I think Carpenter got a lot better later, but... 
it's an okay one. Uh, I thought like I thought his Halloween two soundtrack was pretty good. Escape from New York. He started really getting into that vibe, and uh, he kind of lost it with like okay. <laughs> I don't want to sound like a negative prick, but in the nineties when um, Cody got involved, and Cody, his son Cody, who is like really great at playing electric guitar. Um, it oh, so many of his soundtracks got just too metal heavy. I just a little too metal heavy for me. I'm I'm glad you got to work with Cody and write some music and shit. But like, in the mouth of madness has a like that score does not fit that movie very well in a lot of ways. It's so like metal heavy. Yeah, uh, what really made John Carpenter was the technology and the the mix of shit that was coming out of the '80s and being able to plug two synths into each other at the same time. Like Halloween three is literally two different synths plugged into each other at the same time. And they're, they're bouncing back and forth and it makes it so great. I love when he worked with Alan Howarth. I think there's, there's some amazing stuff. Yeah. That team up and just like getting super experimental with soundtracks. I mean, it caused a whole, I mean that and financial reasons, but like synth soundtracks in horror films like were unparalleled at the time and sometimes you could get some really good ones and sometimes you get some really bad ones and now we're in an era where everybody's trying to appropriate that and their horror film is i'm doing a synth soundtrack that's great 30 other movies came out this year with this same exact soundtrack There's a Patreon cut of this episode, and there's a regular cut of this episode, and if you would like to hear that Patreon cut, all you gotta do is go to www.deathbydvd.com and click the Patreon page, and it's kind of self-explanatory at that point. You read about it, and you give us one or four dollars for now. We will have new tiers opening soon, but you can watch this video in death-defying, bloody, full-color death-o-vision. And now, after that sales pitch, I'll move into my ending statement that I've already forgotten. I'm good. You got an ending statement? I think that was mine. Nightmares in a Damaged Brain is the one to remember. That's the movie to 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 go home, even though you're probably at home or in your car listening to this, and watch. This is a movie to find. And I'll point it out again. It is available on YouTube, but it's just such a terrible version. Um, it sucks. I hope somebody releases this. This is one of those movies you get, like, Fantasy Vinegar Syndrome releases. I would love a big company like Severin or Vinegar Syndrome to put this out accessibly for people to get it until it becomes a, another collector's item and sells out. Put it back in print. And now that Banana Man, Code Red Bill is dead, who who knows what will happen to the future of this movie. But you have been listening to the Video Nasties A through Z with Death by DVD. Next time, we got Ape Night. It's a whole night of apes. There are going to be dicks that roll, heads that roll. That's about it. Those, hearts? Uh, There's hearts. Are there hearts that roll? Oh, they don't roll, yes. though. They beat. The reason <laughs> one of them was banned is because of hearts. But they don't roll. They just beat. They don't. No, they don't roll. They just get surgically operated on. 
next week on Death by DVD. And now we unfortunately have to go catch catch the horror taxi, which is terrible at this time of night. I don't know if we're actually going to get one. We might have to get a horror Uber out of here. Be pleasant. The ashtray's full and the bottle is empty. DVD is recorded in front of a dead studio audience. Portions of today's programming have been mechanically reproduced. The management and the staff wish you a pleasant good night and good morning. Crystal Sunshine Mountain in any town USA with transmitters on top of the Empire State Building. You have been listening to the video Nasties A through Z with Death by DVD. Please be kind and rewind.